0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Reel. And, of course, we are talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man. Joining me again today is guest Matthew Westfox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Hey, Matthew. Hey, I'm looking forward. I had a lot of fun recording the last one. And uh, this one especially I'm looking forward to because here's
1: where we get to dive into some uh, pretty good world
0: building. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Uh, we are, of course, looking at Minute 45 on today's show. The Minute starts with Agent Phil Coulson showing off his rather long acronym <laughs> and ending with Tony reminiscing about his father. This is the minute where we really get to meet Agent Coulson. Clark Gregg, of course, playing uh, Agent Coulson. This was a really interesting part because initially he was just cast as Agent And they liked him so much and thought he was bringing so much to the role that they fleshed him out a little bit, gave him a full name. And Mm -hmm. it became so popular because it's not based on anything in the comics. He became so popular that he got his own series, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and actually started appearing in the comics. It's really interesting to see a film character like this become something that strikes a chord with people and makes it so far it's really interesting
1: that that's that's fascinating because I, I i have a lot of my own reasons for loving this moment that i'll get to but one thing you always think about is is the connection between the comics and then the mcu kind of linear or c- cyclical and right. i love it that, that from this very first movie we're getting the cyclical that obviously the comics are what creates the movie and the tv shows but then what's happening on the on the screen is now feeding back into the comics world and the idea that it started all the way back here is uh, i think really cool
0: it is it's really interesting to see how it kind of all led back around to this and i i always talk about when we meet new characters where they started off mm-hmm. and as i said he hadn't been in any comics so agent colson's first appearance in a comic book was actually a limited series called battle scars it was a six issue limited series that ran from january through june 2012 and interestingly the character And all of his designs over the number of different issues that he's been in have been designed based on Clark Gregg. So uh, he's uh, an interesting actor in that he, I guess you can say, actually has a comic book character designed to look like him, which is kind of fun.
1: Well, and I have to say, when I first saw him on screen, I immediately knew what kind of role he was. It's not that I knew that he was going to be from S.H.I.E.L.D., and that was a great moment, but I had known of Clark Gregg because he had a small, but I thought very important role on the West Wing, which was a show that I'm a huge fan of. I don't know if you know it well.
0: I have never seen an episode, but I, I know of it. It's one of those ones that for some reason I've always missed.
1: On that, on that show, he plays Special Agent Casper, who is an FBI agent who first comes into contact with the West Wing crew because there's uh, so, something is happening that the FBI has to brief the White House about, and he is sort of the special liaison. And he plays a very similar kind of character, unassuming, but very competent, knows what's going on, very quippy and has a lot of kind of back and forth dialogue. And so and he had just been one of those like, you know, he pops up maybe once or twice a season for a couple of seasons. And it always just made me so happy to see him on the West Wing. So when I saw him in this, I was like, oh, Clark Craig's back. And, and then so seeing him play <laughs> an agent character again was just so perfect.
0: I do this little thing. Are you familiar at all with the IMDb game? Uh, no, I'm not. Are you familiar with IMDb and how I am, yeah. uh, for each actor, they will list like four th- four films at the top of their page, what they're known for. Right. And it's not necessarily the most popular films. It's not necessarily the most profitable, or I shouldn't say just films, films, projects. There's a a mix in there, and nobody quite knows what the algorithm is that IMDb uses to... <laughs> To pull it. And so it makes for a fun guessing game, trying to say, okay, so Clark Gregg, what for projects of his would you guess are the things that are at the top of his IMDb page? Any ideas?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I was, uh, as you were talking and I cheated, I have, I'm looking at it right now.
0: <laughs> oh, you're looking. I would have guessed at least one of the, I would have guessed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh-huh. because that's like the big TV show that he's on. I would have guessed one of the other Marvel films that he was in. I mean, he's only in what, like four? I, I guess I can scan down. He was in Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, and The Avengers. Right. And, and that's. And then
1: it. he died. And, he, in, and then, in the cinematic universe, he is still and remains dead. So he won't be coming back right. anytime soon there.
0: Right. But I would have guessed one of those. I don't know if I would have guessed The Avengers. That's the one that it yeah. actually has him as. I, I feel like I would have said either Thor because I feel like he's got a bigger part in Thor, mm-hmm. or Iron Man because that's where you meet him. So, uh, but it turns out to be the Avengers. I would never have guessed the New Adventures of the Old Christine because I didn't know he was <laughs> I, in I, that, I'm looking TV at that show. On that, I have zero
1: idea what in the world that is.
0: But I knew the show existed. I just, other than uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, I had no idea who was in the show. Uh-huh. So it was a complete surprise to me. And then he was in the film Choke, which was an adaptation of Chuck Palahniuk's novel. Again, I didn't know he was in it. I didn't know that was a film that I yeah. should have expected him to be in. It's a real surprise to me that that's the fourth choice on the IMDb list. Weird. Yeah. It's, <laughs> right? It's, I know.
1: And, and, I, and I'll be curious if, if any of your listeners want to write in and say, uh, I, I don't know if I'm totally unique in, in being a West Wing fan of his or if there are lots of others, um, you know, because I...
0: Uh, Yeah, I I don't always
1: think of fandoms uh, overlapping like that, but uh, but sometimes they definitely do.
0: So, right, right. He's an interesting guy who's been in the industry for quite a while. And he actually did some stuff. I mean, he's been acting since the 80s. But he also has been a writer. In fact, he wrote the horror film that Robert Zemeckis directed What Lies Beneath. Mm. Um, In fact, he wrote and directed Choke. I would guess that is why that's the fourth one on his list right there. yeah, so uh, so he's an interesting guy.
1: And just while we're we're passing around trivia about him, I, I, I he's also a bit of a hero of mine because he is married to Jennifer Grey, who, if anyone else is a big '80s movies enthusiast like I am, oh, sure is both the star of Dirty Dancing and perhaps even more iconically—well, not more iconically, but more beloved to my to my mind—the sister of Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> Off. So we're now way off into tangent land, but just one other
0: cool there fact: Park uh, Brig. And it's nonsensical, fun trivia, but I just love that he's one of those people whose name can be reversed and it still is a normal name. Greg Clark could be oh, just yeah. <laughs> just fine, too. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely true. And for me, I think, so I went into this Iron Man movie knowing a little bit about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I didn't really know much about it, but I knew some of the basics and I had to kind of be convinced to see it because I was not a big superhero movie person. Like, I liked the Spider-Man movies. I loved the Batman movie um, because I, I was a big Batman fan. But for the most part, I thought a lot of the movies that have been coming out around the time uh, of this or come out beforehand seemed kind of hokey and silly. And I also remember just being kind of frustrated that, like, you have these huge comic book universes. And now, you know, each individual movie is just going to be its own thing and kind of unconnected to anything. And so I distinctly remember when he says I'm from the strategic homeland, I'm not going to rattle it off, I kind of sat up in my chair and went, wait, what? (laughs) Because this was also (laughs) when the internet was just getting started, and I, again, not being a huge comic book fan, I hadn't followed any of the news about this movie. So I didn't know that there was any kind of attempt to build a a larger cinematic universe happening. I I just thought this was a movie about Iron Man. And and when he said that, I, I had this moment of Wait, wait a minute, are, are are we just telling the Iron Man story or are we actually going to go deep into this whole Marvel universe? And and of course that paid off in such wonderful ways. And, and so I'm always, when I, you know, I, I think I, it's fair to say that I, I requested these particular minutes that we talked about. And this moment is definitely one of why because I feel like this is the moment when Favreau was really telling us, I don't just want to tell the Iron Man story. If I get the money for it, I'm going to tell a much larger story. And I, I just think it, it still gives me a little bit of a chill every time I see it because this is—it's such a, a vital moment. For this whole MCU.
0: It, it very much is. The acronym, of course, is Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement, and Logistics Division. Shield. As
1: someone later says you really wanted it to fit the shield acronym, didn't you? I forget. Who that yeah. Answer. Right. Right.
0: So, so Shield first appeared in Strange Tales uh, number one thirty-five. This was August nineteen sixty-five. Created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. And in that issue, it actually stood for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Mm. So over the course of time, somewhere, it changed. And I was trying to find where, at what point in time, it actually, the acronym shifted. And I I want to say that it was the movie that created that shift, but I don't know if I'm completely accurate with that. I'm going to have to keep digging Mm. to see if I I can pinpoint specifically. What's interesting is reading that first issue of Strange Tales, which, when S.H.I.E.L.D. appears, it's really kind of following Nick Fury, and he's going through this test. As he comes to find out, it's because this organization, S.H.I.E.L.D., is recruiting him to be its leader. Mm-hmm. And Tony Stark is actually already on board, and he is one of the people that is working to recruit Fury as the head of the organization.
1: And, and when did you say this was?
0: August 1965.
1: Interesting. That, that's really
0: interesting. Yeah. yeah, so it's interesting that Tony was already in on it and was one of the people who brought Fury on to lead it. So it's kind of an interesting little uh, change that they made. I want to read more of these comics. That's the only one that I've read. I need to read more of the S.H.I.E.L.D. comics now to try getting a better sense of it and the whole story. But it is pretty interesting to see how it all came to be.
1: And least for me especially because as I, as I mentioned at the end of your last podcast, the the, the, the podcast and I'm part of, Superhero Ethics, one of the things that we're always looking at is the kind of ethical and moral questions. And one of the questions we keep coming back to is, okay, once humanity knows that people with superpowers exist, how do we respond? And, and one of the natural questions that first comes up for that is, should there be some sort of governmental regulation? Should there be an agency that oversees these kind of things? Right. And, and, and so for me, S.H.I.E.L.D. has always been one of the things I'm most interested in because I think there are, and, and I think I, I like that the MCU, especially with Civil War, but with some of the other stories as well, has really done a great job of exploring this question of, is there a need to have a government agency that oversees these things? And if so, what powers should that agency have or not have? And how much should it be empowered to you know, to take away the privacy or perhaps even the freedom of the powered people in order to protect the rights of everybody else. And there's just so many ethical questions that that leads into. And I feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. has been one of the best ways of exploring those questions in any of these stories.
0: Well, especially uh, looking at uh, Winter Soldier and, yeah. and how that really explores S.H.I.E.L.D. And I mean, obviously, we're not going to be talking about that film for <laughs> a good number of years, but, <laughs> but still, it, it poses some interesting questions about the people who are watching. It's like, it just like Watchmen points out who watches the Watchmen and that whole aspect of it when, especially if these people turn to the dark side, as it were. I find it to be an interesting dilemma, and uh, we certainly start seeing glimpses of that here, and we get a sense of the reach of S.H.I.E.L.D., even just in this very brief conversation that Coulson has with Potts, because he says that he needs to debrief Mr. Stark on the circumstances of his escape, just the way that he phrases that feels like yeah. they know a lot more as to what's been going on than than they're, than he's letting on right here. Because he's de- debriefing him on the circumstances of his escape. So I feel like they already know everything that's gone on.
1: Yeah, and, I, and one of the things that I get from this moment is that as however much he knows, he absolutely knows significantly more than Pepper does. Yes. And I think Pepper is clearly trying to... De- on some level, I think Pepper just wants to blow this guy off and, and with the whole, like, I'll, I'll find find something to put in the book. But I do think that part of this is also the moment where Pepper is starting to think, wait a minute, how much more to the story is there that I don't know? And the, the suspicion and the her desire to confront Tony that comes much later in the movie, I kind of think starts in this moment as well.
0: It's interesting in the script, Pepper actually comes to Coulson before he comes to her. And again, this is one of those moments where I feel like the way that it's scripted and the way that it ended up in the film... There's enough of a subtle difference where the film version ends up being much more superior because the way that he kind of approaches her, he knows who she is. He knows that she's kind of the doorway to get to Stark. But in the script, uh, you know, she sees him and says, you'll have to take a seat, sir, mm. because he, she just sees him. Well, it's it's weird. He approaches her, but she's the one who talks to him and he's like, oh, I'm not a reporter. And then goes into the whole thing. But it's just it's interesting how she's kind of the one who's kind of being more direct as opposed to being interrupted by him right and it's very subtle but i i still feel like there's enough there that that actually makes it to be a uh, an interesting point in the uh, dynamics of the of the who these people are
1: And in, in some ways i feel like that that speaks a lot to phil colson's power and the power of shield because to me especially in these in these movies it, or especially in this movie if, if there's a phrase to me that comes to mind to describe Pulson and S.H.I.E.L.D., it's the, you know, speak, uh, walk softly and carry a big stick. Right. Because he doesn't feel a need to sort of push in and say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm one of the big agencies. He has no desire to impress her. Clearly, he's coming across as, in this very sort of nabishy, unimpressive way. He just knows he's from this agency that, of course, she's going to want to talk to and that he's going to want to talk
0: to. And what's funny about him is just as he mysteriously appeared next to her when he's done talking to her, he just kind of mysteriously just you know, just disappears. You know, he just kind of steps off to the side. And it's, it's, it's not as mysterious, I guess, but it just it cracks me up because he just kind of moves away and you just don't see him again. And, yes, you do see him. He is in the back when you see the sit-in. He's sitting in the back uh, row. Uh-huh. But it's not pointed out, and it's just—it's very funny to me that he kind of mysteriously appears next to Pepper and then just kind of vanishes. (laughs) Like he's like—he's like this little magician. So
1: he he has that Batman trick of just showing up and disappearing.
0: (laughs) Exactly, it's very funny. So. After that little exchange, we get to the front of the pet press conference, the main focus here, which is Obadiah's at the podium. And as we find out, with a nice little pan down or a tilt down, a little hint of the comedy, we see Tony, who's sitting at the base of the podium. And he kind of requests everybody to, all the reporters and everybody to sit down, which is really funny. And I guess that's a, an idea that Robert Downey Jr. had. And it makes the scene play, uh, I think, it a little more interestingly. And it, it I don't know, it, it gives it a different feel. And I, I like the way that that happens.
1: I think so, especially because I think it really speaks to how much Tony has changed and now how different Toby, Tony is from Obadiah. You know, that he doesn't want the corporate trappings anymore, that he doesn't want to be the big man giving the speech and everyone listening. He really wants to be on their level. He wants to just sort of sit down and and have a chat with everybody.
0: Well, and it speaks it speaks also to that PTSD element, right? Yeah. Like, do you feel like there's a hint of that?
1: I think there is. I, I, I well, say more. What, what, what exactly are you thinking there?
0: it's just it seems like this doesn't feel like the Tony that we met earlier in the film I mean he's casual he's comfortable with people he chats up anybody but I I feel like he is is that leader who I mean he probably would be the guy behind the podium and would be running this press conference and I feel like the way that he kind of handles this and he's sitting and he's again here we go with the that's the burger from the pocket that we finally get to see him pull out and start uh, start eating (laughs) it just feels like he's almost like a at a little bit at a loss for how to act in the situation, especially because at the end, as he's he's eating the burger, he has kind of this emotional, it's almost a breakdown. Like he, he hits this point where he's, he looks over at Obadiah who sits next to him and it almost looks like he's going to break into tears. There's a look on his face as he starts talking about his father that just kind of strikes me. Like this is a guy who's been going through a lot and he's been rescued finally. And it just feels like the moment's hitting him right here for me.
1: Yeah. no, I, I, I think that that's very true. And to me, what especially I get out of this, which I think is is setting something up that will become a huge part of Tony's arc throughout the whole whole series of movies, is that he feels to me like a man who doesn't want the weight of responsibility that he feels like he has to carry. You know, he in the, up to this point, he had been so happy to be like, I'm Tony, I'm in tr- I'm in control. Everything is okay. And now he has seen what what the things he has done can do, you know, what the weapons he has built can do out the world, and what his kind of Playboy attitude and not paying attention to things, what that did to the world. And to me, this is a man who is is really wrestling with the guilt of that and who is really wrestling with wondering like, what what did I do when I have power? And I don't want to have power anymore. And I see that and I feel like that that I don't know how much I saw that the first time I watched this movie, but going back and watching it now, it's so clear because that becomes something that is so much a part of his character for the rest of the movies, where either A, he's trying to build a robot that can take the power away from him and thus can build Ultron, or he wants some other government agency to take the power away from him and thus he wants to give it all over to the Sokovia Accords. But whatever it is, I feel like what Tony Stark saw in that cave made him think, when I'm in control, when I'm in charge, terrible things happen. And as much as he keeps feeling a need to take control and to help things, it also feels like for most of the rest of the movies, the biggest thing he's trying to do is find someone else to take control. And that's kind of what I, when I see when I, when I see him sit down there is him saying, I don't want to dominate you. I don't want to tell you all what to do. I just want to have a talk to you as equals.
0: I like that. That's actually a nice way to also to read that and to see that kind of change in his personality and the way that he's starting to create this mental shift. And I think some of that even comes out when he starts talking about his dad, because obviously he's had a, a very strong connection with his dad. We saw a picture with his father when we were in a workshop. his workshop. When we see the presentation at the award ceremony earlier in the film, it's very clear that the relationship the two of them had and how He's kind of grown up really in his father's image and now is running his father's company. And just that moment that he has here, I never got to say goodbye to dad. I never got to say goodbye to my father, really kind of strikes a chord because I think there's an element that he's starting to realize of almost like that duality of his father where – he's finally stepping back and 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 realizing his father wasn't necessarily this guy to praise and i mean his father was was this a uh, weapons manufacturer yeah. who was doing things that that led to a lot of destruction on the earth and he's never really seen that and and he's having this moment right here where he's he's almost seeing kind of this this mental split of his father he's seeing the father that he never got to say goodbye to and he's having that real emotional connection to but it's also leading us into this this idea that we're we're going to be coming to in in the next minute about uh what he experienced and what's changed about him
1: yeah i i think that's a really good point i mean it, this conflict and the the all the feelings he has about the loss of his dad is obviously such an important theme for him uh in the rest of his movies and then in the avengers movies uh and and especially in the civil war movie but but also i i i I like what you're saying because i think it points to the idea that this is a moment where tony kind of has to grow up a bit because so much of what he has been doing up until now is dad did it and so dad was right and if dad did it it's right so i'm just going to keep doing what dad is doing yeah and he's obviously brilliant and able to figure out all of his weapon systems, but he never asks why. And I, I think the reason is because in his mind, his father answered that question. His father did it. His father did it to beat the Nazis. And that was certainly a good reason. Yeah. And here again, this is my, my, my is always wanting to look at how the movies are, are mirrors for larger questions. But I also like this moment a lot because I think it, I'm going to uh, back up a second, go on a bit of a tangent here, but I promise it's relevant. Not that long ago, Stan Lee passed away, and when when he passed, one of the things that got talked about a lot was that he had really brought back the idea that comics didn't just have to be silly stories, but that they could be mirrors for real-life issues and real-life questions, and the way the X-Men talked about prejudice and, and racism and things like that. And you know, in our own world, this has been a question of the military was great in World War II against the Nazis, but then... As later generations go, we, we spend more time questioning things about our government and about the military and about weapons and stuff like that. And I see that in in Tony. You know, his dad was fighting the Nazis, and that was great. Now, generations later, what are we using those weapons for? And people can have all sorts of different opinions on that question. But I really like this moment because this moment was when the movie was kind of saying, "We're not going to shy away from that. We're going to head on acknowledge that this isn't just a movie about something." totally different that happens in this weird Marvel world. This is a movie that's holding up a mirror to some of the questions that are wrong.
0: And I, I would say to that extent, it it does even a better job with that, with the Iron Man Tony Stark character than the comic books initially did. Not that the comic books didn't address it, but I think in the, in the beginning it really just worked to kind of make tony stark this this playboy this weapons manufacturer that was really against everything that kind of all the the comic book readers who were kind of anti-war types despised, they made him into somebody who is likable and a superhero. I think all of that worked, but I still think that there was still that element of Tony where it still felt like he was running uh, Stark Industries and and manufacturing weapons. I, I don't feel like a lot of that changed. I felt like they handled it a lot better in the way that that transition happened in the film. And I feel like Robert Downey Jr. really delivers it nicely. Mm-hmm. And it's, it makes for a really powerful journey that we're going to be going on with him over not just this film and this moment, but all through the franchise.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I think it's, it's one way in which this press conference is just... I mean, you got to wonder how many of the plot lines and threads that become so vital throughout all of the mcu get started in these in this in this minute you know in the minutes of before and
0: afterwards yeah that's very true there's quite a bit that's going to be going on Mm -hmm. because of the way that this happens so it's going to be an interesting exploration i uh, i think that maybe we should end here and come back tomorrow to finish our conversation about this press conference unless you have anything else you want to talk about here
1: no i i think we kind of covered it i think we hit the 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 the, the drop of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the, the discussion about his grief about his dad, to me, are the, the real fundamental points here. So I'm, um, I think we hit it well, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what else Tony has to say when he's up up behind those cameras.
0: Well, Matthew, uh, remind everybody again where they can find you on the Internet.
1: Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, the podcast we do is called Superhero Ethics. You can find it on iTunes, on Podbean, on um, a couple of the other big uh, Stitcher, a couple of the other big podcast uh, sources. You can also find our website, which is mostly the podcast, but also some blog entries at www.superheroethics, all in word, dot com. And then also you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, also with that name, Superhero Ethics. We love to get into conversations with fans. The podcast tends to dive into a lot of these questions, as I said, from the MCU, but also from a wide range of other sources and um yeah please check it out
0: thank you again for having me on as a guest awesome and that's it everybody for today's show so thank you so much for tuning in make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com join us over in our discord chat room and follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the next reel and if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel until next time true believers